Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We've got quite a passage in front of us, and, and Lord willing, we're going to get through all 40 verses this morning. Uh, don't worry, I practiced, and it's not as long as you might think. But as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, I'm, I'm going to read the whole chapter in, in just a minute. Uh, but, but often this chapter is taken out of its context, and it's considered by itself. But this chapter makes perfect sense. It makes most sense in light of where we've come from. Specifically, this author is wanting to encourage his audience to persevere. That's been the point of Hebrews, to hold fast to Jesus and to persevere until the end. And so as, as chapter 10 ended last week, we, we had a, a warning, but the warning was followed with, with words of encouragement. And he said, Rem- remember how you once responded to adversity with faith and perseverance. And, and don't throw away your confidence because there's great reward for your faith if you hold fast till the end. In the last verse in Hebrews chapter 10, the author says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so he's just said, we're, we're not this type of person, not, not those who fall away, but we are this type of person, those who persevere. And what he does in chapter 11 is he highlights a long list of people like that. And so it's an example list. And the whole point of of this list of examples is so that his his audience and us, who might remember the examples of those who went before us, who persevered in faith, and then we might follow likewise. And so his point is to give these examples so that we might see them and, and hear about them and remember them, and then we might act. I, I thought about our kids, are, they take swim lessons at the YMCA, and there's a, a, one of the coaches, uh, if you go and watch one of their practices, there will be multiple times throughout the practice that he'll have the whole group get out of the pool, and he'll have his little iPad, and he'll be showing them whether, what stroke they're working on, or a, a turn, or a wall touch. He, he wants them to see the example, because he knows if they see someone else doing it, they may think, okay, I can do that. I see how it's done, now I will do it. You sometimes hear about sports coaches who will find game footage, maybe of earlier that season, or maybe it's decades prior. This is who the Redskins are. So, so the Redskins, if you don't know, they, they had a heyday in the late 80s into 90s, and they had this offensive line called the Hogs, and they were a tough, tough mouth running football team. And so a lot of fans want, want to remember the Hogs, and, and we remember, and so coaches might say, hey, look at how this offensive line controlled the game. That's what we want to do. And so examples are given that they might be emulated, and that was what our author is doing. He's just giving a whole list of individuals who exemplified active faith, and his point is that the readers might respond by this exhortation. So so I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll work through uh, the the outline that we have. So, So you can follow along. The words will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, it'd be great for you to just follow along there. I'm going to begin in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out, made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. 
By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they, that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the... At- And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive his son back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, And gave directions concerning his bones. By faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses when he was grown up he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness, they became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. 
refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Well, let me pray for us before we work through these verses. Father, we are part of a long line. Our heritage goes, goes far back. And so I pray that as we, as we remember our people, the people of faith, the people whose lives were marked by confident action, trust in you, I pray that you would encourage and spur us on to do likewise. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of your word and the examples that you have left us with. That's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as we work through this, there are two main headings. There are two main points on our outline. And so the first point is going to be faith defined. And that's going to be just verses 1 through 3. Then the second point is faith illustrated, which is verses 4 through 40. Now, in that second point, there's going to be some subpoints that, that we'll work through. But, but that's the basic outline. And that shows us, I, I hope, I hope it shows you just by the outline that, that faith is what the author wants his audience to emulate. He wants them to persevere. So the title of the sermon is Persevering Faith, because that's what we see on display, and that's what the author is trying to, to, to bring about and exhort his readers to. So let's start there in verse 1. We see he, he defines faith. Now, now we have to be clear, his, his description of faith is not thorough. He, he doesn't say, well, here's everything that you need to know about faith. No, he, he gives an overview, a brief definition of faith that fits the context of what he's saying. And the, the focus is that faith, and, and there's this unseen and seen reality, and faith takes grasp of what is, what is unseen and takes action knowing that is what, what is unseen will become seen. And so he says, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. The NIV says it, it's, it's being sure of what you hope for and certain of what is not seen. And so faith is this forward-looking thing that, that brings about action. And so, so something that isn't clear leads you to act knowing that what isn't clear will one day be clear. What is unseen will one day be revealed or evident. And so right off the bat, we have to recognize that this is not a wishful thinking. Faith has a foundation that is sure. That's the language here. It's assurance. It's conviction. And so it's not, well, I hope this happens. I hope it comes true. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. No, faith is a, a certainty because the one behind whom, the one whom, in whom we have faith is trustworthy. And so when, when God says something, we can trust it knowing that he will bring about what he promises. And so what we'll see this at the end. Perseverance is, is most basically about trusting God. And so failure to persevere is to say, well, I don't trust God. And so it, it comes down to the character and nature of God. But, but so verse 1, the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. 
And so by faith, people were, were, were approved of by God. That, that's a life of faith is the only type of life that pleases God. Now, the life of faith is the only life that God commends. Faith is how the ancients gained God's approval. That's his point. And this whole list is, is those who, who and, and again, it's faith that is not stagnant, but it's faith that acts because it's confident in God. And so faith is, is how we please God. We, we act in faith, trusting God. And so faith, like we're going to see illustrated, faith that pleases God is a faith that shows itself and leads to action, which again, remember the context. He wants his readers to hold fast to Jesus. He wants their faith to, to, to lead them to, to hold fast to the high priest who has given a, made a sacrifice for him. And so the list of examples serves as an example. And, and it, it is helpful to remember that apostasy and faith are, are, are different, uh, different actions that, that they can take. They can, they can either forsake Christ and fall away, or they can persevere in their faith. Those are really the, only the two options. And, and the, at the end of the day, it's do you trust God and persevere, or do you not trust God and do you fall away? And so this is the definition of faith. And then he gives an example in verse 3. By faith, we... Now notice, he's not talking about the ancients anymore, but now he's given kind of this, this dynamic at work. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so faith grasps the reality of the invisible. And so we live in a visible world, am I right? We look around, we see creation. And, and, and no one was, was there at creation, but God's word tells us that God created all that is out of nothing. And so what is invisible, namely God, brought visible world, created world, out of nothing. And he did so by the power of his word. And so this unseen reality led to the fulfillment or the, the creation of all of the universe. And so we see the reality. And so what the author, I believe, in Hebrews 11 is doing is people were living when, when there was no fulfillment, no, no uh, revelation of, of God's promises being fully fulfilled. But they could confidently know that God was going to bring it about. And the way that they could do it is the same way that we can look back to creation. Though we weren't there, we can know God created it. Because we see it all around. We know that God's powerful word can bring about from nothing something. And so we, we, we know that God created the world even though we weren't there because God's word tells us and because God's character is such that, that he can do that. No one else can do that. Nothing else can do that. Creation of our world does not come from itself. It comes from outside of itself. It comes from God. And when there is nothing, God spoke and it happened. Let there be. Let there be. And so that's the dynamic, the unseen and the seen. And, and so I think what the author wants to do as, as he transitions into verse 4 to the, the examples is he just wants to know, right now you may be living in, 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 a, in a world that you don't know how what's going to happen is going to happen. You know God said it's going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to come about. And he wants you to say, just like creation came about, God's plan, the fulfillment of his promises are going to come about in your life, in this world. And so he's trustworthy. And so it, creation serves as, as an example of sorts. And so then he, he transitions there into our second, our second heading there, faith illustrated. So, so let's look there, verses 4 through 40. So the first subheading, verses 4 through 7, we see Abel and Enoch and Noah. And so verse 4, he, he, he mentions Abel first. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now when you read Genesis 4, there's no mention in Genesis 4 of, of the faith of Abel. 
There's no mention of the unbelief of Cain. It's just Abel offers a sacrifice, Cain offers a sacrifice, and the Lord commends Abel. And so the author of Hebrews reads into the Genesis account and says, well, the reason God accepted Abel's sacrifice is because he acted out of faith. I mean, that's how he reads it. He was commended as righteous because God accepted his gifts. And so he was faith-filled. He took action. He offered the best that he had. God accepted his gifts. And what did his faith lead to? It led to his, his death, didn't it? His brother, who, who is a clear example of unbelief, lack of faith, sees the commendation that his brother receives. He can't take it and he kills him. But that doesn't take away from the example of Abel. Though dead, he still speaks. Why? Because he acted out of faith. He believed God and he offered what, he, what, what was asked of him, what was required, and he pleased God. And so he is an example of, of one who acts trusting the Lord. And though dead, he still speaks. And, and then he goes to verse 5. He goes to Enoch, which is in Genesis 5. And Enoch, Genesis doesn't really say much about Enoch. If there wasn't much about Cain and Abel, there's really not a lot about Enoch. Right? It's just he was no more. The Lord took him there in Genesis 5. And, and what the author of Hebrews seems to do is he interprets for us what happened. And so the emphasis there in verse 5 by faith, Enoch was taken up so they should not die. He was, he was taken up. He was spared from death. That's, that's the emphasis. Enoch didn't die. He escaped death. And the author's point is that he also was commended and he was spared from death because he pleased God. He was a man of faith. And, and so while the author lays forth Enoch as an example, I don't think the author's point is, is that you too can escape death. Right? Because remember what just happened with Abel. If his point was, hey, if you just live a faithful life, you're going to be delivered from death. No, that's not his point. But I do think his point is that persevering faith does lead one to escape the final death. I do think in that sense he is saying that one day you're all going to be like Enoch. And you're not going to stay in the grave forever. You, You will physically die, but those who persevere until the end are going to in one sense be like Enoch and not experience the eternal death. And so perseverance does lead to reward. That's going to be a theme throughout. There there is a reward. There's a benefit for persevering. There's going to be a a resurrection. There's going to be a a city with foundations. And so even at the beginning, I I think the author is hinting at the the reality that suffering is endurable because of God's promise of resurrection. That no matter how bad it gets, even if your brother kills you and your life is taken, there is still reward for your faith. You, You can't be robbed of that. And so both Abel and Enoch illustrate faith and and both are commended by God, which leads to the the, the clear point that unbelief, lack of faith, can never please God. Look at verse 6. It's like he takes it aside. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Forever would draw near to God, must believe that God exists, and they reward those who seek him. And so I think he's reminding his, his audience who remember, they are thinking if we go back to the old covenant, we'll escape a little difficulty or persecution, but we'll still have God. And he's saying, no, if you, if you forsake Christ, you cannot please God, right? Because faith, persevering faith, is the only way that anyone pleases God. We, we persevere trusting him through trials and tribulations, whatever comes, and through uncertainty. And he wants them to know that without faith, they cannot please him. So they have to seek him. They have to persevere in their seeking of him. And so this is, an, again, a stark warning. If you forsake Jesus, you are intentionally displeasing God. 
And so I think he wants his hearers to, to hear that. For people of faith, those who draw near to him, those who are in relationship with him, remember this is a new covenant reality, they believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So people of faith believe that God exists and they trust him to reward them. Which means people of faith persevere because it will always be worth it. No matter what your circumstances scream, no matter what suffering lies ahead, persevering, trusting the Lord is always worth it. The person who falls away shows that they don't trust God. And then the last of this section, we, we find Noah, the final example. And, and again, here's Noah with, with this unseen reality. He, he's, he's told the, the, the world, creation, is going to be destroyed. God warns him and says, Noah, I'm going to destroy all of the people of the earth. And Noah, it says, in reverent fear, believed the unseen reality. We, we don't even think there had been rain yet. And he's told, I'm going to flood the earth in destruction, in, in judgment. And, and Noah believes God. Though mocked, though ridiculed, Noah believed him. And Noah's trust, his faith in God led him to act. And he built a really big boat. And he was spared. God preserved him and his family with him. And his action contrasted with those around him, with with the world, served as condemnation for them. Noah believed God's word, and the world, who was also aware of what God had told Noah, we assume, they refused. They mocked and and scorned Noah. They didn't trust. They, they They were filled with unbelief and rejection. And so Noah finds himself in the line of the faithful, the righteous. He pleased God. His faith took action. Well, the author then moves to Abraham. We we see uh, the next big figure. There's going to be two more figures. There's Abraham. And so the author shifts to Abraham, and we see Abraham and his heirs, his sons. And as we we shift our focus to Abraham, there's this forward-looking aspect that is highlighted with Abraham. So there in verse 8, by Abraham, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was promised to receive as an inheritance and so remember, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, go to a place I'm going to show you. He doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know where, what it's going to be. It's unseen. But he obeyed. He trusted God despite not knowing. Remember, all he had was God's word and God's promise. I'm going to give you land. And he obeys. Faith does not see the end at the beginning. He doesn't say, hey, here's the address. Put it in your GPS. Maybe look at a Google Maps view and see if you like it. He, doesn't, he says, just go. And go trusting me. Because I'm your God, and I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you a great inheritance. And so Abraham trusts God's promises, and he goes. In verse 9, uh, what, what, a, what a point. So by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, not as one who's ruling over, not one as who, who's been given the title of the land, but he goes there as in a foreign land, living in tents. And he's living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. So they have this great promise, but they're not getting the land. They're, they're nomads and sojourners. They're, they're moving their tents all around. The, the promise isn't coming. But they don't say, I'm going back to Ur. I'm going back to Haran. No, they say, okay, it, it hasn't come to me, but we're going back to Canaan. We're going back. We're going back. And so, so when his son could, could stay with Laban, he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going back to my land. I'm going back to the promised land. And they always had this forward-looking hope. They never realized the fulfillment of this promise in their lives, yet they persevered. 
They persevered. In verse 10, they persevered because they were looking forward to a city that has foundations. They they were looking forward to a, a city whose builder is God. And so the faith of Abraham, the author says, was looking to a city far greater than Canaan would ever be. For the heavenly Jerusalem, because God's promise, because of God's promise, Abraham knew that he would one day live in a permanent city. One day he would reside in a permanent city with God himself. And he was always looking for that. And that's what drove him. The better city. The permanent city. Verse 11, similarly, not only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also Sarah is mentioned here. Now, now this verse, there, there's a lot of uh, discussion, maybe disagreement about, well, is it talking about Sarah or Abraham? We all know Sarah laughed, and we say, well, she wasn't a person of faith. She, she laughed when she was told she was going to have a child. But the author seems to say either Sarah or Sarah and Abraham, whatever the case may be, the point is that the faith of this couple led to the fulfillment of the promise, that, that the son was born. That the offspring came as a result. They, they believed God, it says. And therefore, from one man, verse 12, as good as dead, his wife also, this old couple, were born descendants that started with one, but then, but then grew to many, many sons. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you, right? That, that we sing the song because God fulfilled this promise. And then verse 12, he, he continues, or verse 13, verse 13, as, as he concludes this section, even though they saw the birth of Isaac and, and some others, these died in faith, not seeing the promises fully realized. They never saw in their earthly lives a city with permanent foundations. And when they didn't see fulfillment, they didn't falter, they didn't stop trusting, but they knew that the fulfillment was coming because they believed God. Again, the character of God is what drove them to to faith in action. For the patriarchs, apostasy would have looked like going back to the land they had come from. I mean, that's what he says there. If they weren't looking for a city, if they weren't confident that, that this was coming, they'd have just gone back to where they came from. But they never did that. They always went to the land that God had said, this is where, this is going to be your land. They had opportunity to return, but they never did because they desired, verse 16, a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them his people. He's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has, in fact, prepared for them a city. And so the readers of Hebrews going back to where they came from is exactly what they were considering, what they were contemplating. They must not return to the Old Covenant. The author wants them to know you must persevere. God's not ashamed to be called the God of those who persevere because of their perseverance. Their perseverance proves that they trust him. And so so when you, in faith, do things and, and trust God and obey him, God looks great. You don't, you don't hedge your bets and say, well, well, okay, this won't look too silly. I'm just going to build like a, a, a mini ark. So if the flood actually never comes, I, I, won't be too, like, I won't be too ridiculed or mocked. I won't lose too much reputation. No, you go all in, and when God fulfills his promise, God looks great. And he's not ashamed to be called the God of those who trust him greatly. Your perseverance proves that you trust him. 
Whereas turning back proves that you don't trust him. And so the author of Hebrews is making perfectly clear that persevering faith has always characterized God's people. The very character of God is at stake when it comes to perseverance. Do you trust him or do you not? Is he trustworthy or is he not? Well, then we get to verse 17 through 19. We get to the, the, the event of the life of Abraham, the sacrifice of his son Isaac, the clearest example, I would say, of Abraham's faith. Because the Lord asked him to sacrifice his only son, the promised one, the one who he had waited so long to receive, who he had finally received. And now the Lord says, go and kill him, sacrifice him to me. And so the only possible one through whom this, this promise can be revealed or fulfilled, whom God has said he's the one, he's asked to now sacrifice him. And the fact that Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac proved that he was confident that the Lord could do what he said. God was able to fulfill his promises. And so he's, he had no idea what it was going to look like. He had an idea, but he didn't know what it was going to look like. But he nevertheless trusted God and, and was about to sacrifice his son until the Lord intervened. And the author of Hebrews does say, figuratively, he received his son back from the dead. It's an interesting point. If, if you go back, don't, don't turn there now, but in Genesis 22, with this whole account, when Abraham and his servants and Isaac, they, they travel together in this group, and then Abraham says to his servants, hey, me and the boy, we're going up to the mountain, and we, he says, are going to come back. Now, some say, well, well that, that's just an insignificant word there. And I don't think so. I think, I think Abraham knows, okay, I'm going up there. I know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. But we are coming back because this is the promised seed. And God's going to, I think Abraham maybe thought he was going to be raised from the dead right there on, on Mount Moriah. Whatever the case, he didn't doubt that God could do even that impossible thing. He believed the promise. And so the author does say he did figuratively receive him back to the, from the dead because who comes back rolling down the mountain? It's Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is coming back. The son is preserved. He didn't doubt. He believed that God would fulfill his promise through Isaac because, not because he loved Isaac the most, but because God had said, he is the one. Well, it's not just Abraham. His sons also, verse 20, 21, and 22. Right? There, there's this repetition, this theme. And, and it's interesting, if you're reading the lives of the patriarchs, they all die, but there's always this, 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 this forward-looking, hey, hey, you got to bury me back in Canaan. you, you got to get me back there. And so even, even Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, there's this, this, the, the heirs, the son says, hey, here's the blessing. I'm going to bless you with the, with the promise that, that our father received from the Lord himself wasn't fulfilled completely through us, and so, so we're passing it on, and generation after generation. And then even Joseph. Remember Joseph, when, when all of, of Israel is now living in Egypt, and Joseph comes to his, to his death, it says he's about to die, and he says, hey, whatever you do, I know I'm about to die, we're going to leave Egypt, and when we leave, when we leave, don't leave my bones here. Don't bury me here in Egypt. This isn't my home. Take my bones when you go back to Canaan. And that's because Joseph, much like his, his forefathers, believed the promise. This was this forward-looking confidence that God was going to carry out his promise. And these men ordered their lives around this promise. They, they banked their lives and their families and, and all that they had on believing that God was going to do what he had said. Well, then he shifts from, from Abraham and the heirs, the, verses 23 through 31, we, we turn to Moses and, and the, the people that are entering the land, the, the promised land. And, and so there's a shift from, from Abraham, great figure, to Moses. 
And this, this shift is not only from individual, but, but instead of this forward-looking aspect of faith that, that Abraham um, illustrated, now with, with Moses and those that follow, there, there's faith in the midst of, of difficulty. We're going to see that then in the midst of difficulty, this group of people persevered. In the midst of even suffering, they persevered. And so he begins there with Moses, not even with Moses himself, but with Moses' parents. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so, so, so Moses' very life is attributed to the faith of his parents because they weren't afraid of the king's edict. In other words, Pharaoh didn't like the Israelites. He went around and he said, I want you to kill all the male Israelite boys. Drown them in the, the Nile River. That, that's what Pharaoh said. And what Pharaoh said, Pharaoh got. But Moses' parents said, we're not going to do it. He can kill us if he wants. We're not going to do that to our son. We're going to put our very lives on the line so that we might spare our son. And they believed that, that God, allegiance to Yahweh, was worth it. They weren't, they weren't going to kill in the name of Pharaoh. So they, they saved, they spared Moses. What, what, what a lineage for Moses. We don't often think about his parents, but, but, but here in Hebrews, they are listed as an example. And so faith was the very reason that Moses even lived. And then Moses, verse 24, he continues in the line of his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So if you remember, Moses was spared, and then Pharaoh's daughter, who's out at the river, sees the floating basket and says, I'm going to raise this child. And so Moses grows up as a royal family member. He's in Pharaoh's house. And so there's nothing that Moses does not experience when it comes to the pleasures and the luxuries of Egypt. He grows up as Pharaoh's house in Pharaoh's household. However, he didn't rely on his status, but instead renounced his claim as a member of Pharaoh's house. And he rejoined himself with the mistreated Israelites. He trusted God even when the cost was great. And he refused. So so as he gets older, he refuses to, to, to take advantage of his position in Pharaoh's house. But he chooses rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He could deny himself of worldly wealth and pleasure because he was looking forward to a reward that God had promised to his people. As good as Egypt was, Moses knew there's a better city for me. And I'm not going to get it if I'm with this people. And so he said, I'm, I'm going to be identified with that people. I'm going to be mistreated with that people, but I'm going to do so because there, there's a greater city coming. And so I can go through whatever suffering I need to because I'm, I'm, I'm going for the greater city. I, I've got the long-term mindset. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's helpful, instructive, that, that sin is described as fleeting, the fleeting pleasures of sin. I hear this this morning. All sin leads to temporary pleasure. There is no permanent pleasure in any sin. Ever. All pleasure afforded you by sin is temporary. God's promise is the only thing that will satisfy forever. All sin is temporary. And so so Moses denies himself pleasure and, and faces mistreatment. Forsaking Christ would give him temporary relief. 
but it would only be temporary. Persecution is never a pleasant prospect. Denying self is never appealing if you're thinking about here and now, but trusting God is worth it because there is a reward. There is an eternal pleasure. And so Moses identified with the Israelites instead of the Egyptians, and and that happened most likely he's referring to he sided with Israel when, when he saw one of his own, his Israelite brothers being mistreated by an Egyptian master. And do you know what, what Moses did when he saw one of his Israelite brothers being mistreated? He, he kills the Egyptian. He can't take it. He sides. He says, I'm, I'm not one of them. I'm one of them. And he runs away when, when the word starts spreading. And so in verse 27, I mean, that's, that's when, when I think... Moses sides with Israel. So verse 27 says that by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. Well, well was he afraid of the king? Right? It seems like his, his, he's afraid of his reputation spreading and he flees. So I, I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the instance that, that the author of Hebrews is referring to in verse 27. I think the, the author of Hebrews is referring to fleeing Egypt when, when the tenth plague is, has just come down on the Egyptians. And so he flees not afraid of Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh said, you can go, no, you can't. Yes, you can, no, you can't. Yes, you can, no, don't go, don't go. And he says, I don't care, I'm going. He's not afraid of him, and so he flees. That's why I think verse 28, he mentions immediately, by faith he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. So that's the 10th plague comes, and the Lord says, here's what you're to do, Moses, here's what you're to do, Israel. If you, if you, if you kill the lamb and you put the blood on the doorpost, you're going to be passed over. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to face judgment. And so Moses and Israel, he leads them to believe the Lord. And so they, 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 they make the, the massive exodus. And as the leader of the exodus, Moses didn't fear death or capture by Pharaoh. Instead, he led the exodus confidently because God has spoken and God had made promises to him in Israel. And so he did what God said and he spared, God spared the Israelites which didn't happen to the Egyptians, right? That, that's the whole point of the 10th plague. And just imagine if, if those of Israel had heard the words that Moses had said, and they said, no, actually, we're not going to put the blood on the doorpost. Would they have been spared? No. They believed, and they did what God said, and they were spared. The alternative, the apostasy would have been, no, we don't care what God says. And that's not what they did. They obeyed, and they were spared, and they were delivered. And so after Moses, verse 29, he continues to not only Moses, but the people, by faith, they left the shore and they, they journeyed into the heart of the Red Sea, trusting the Lord for their deliverance. And so they're being chased by Pharaoh and his armies and they come to the sea and they're afraid. And, and the Lord uses Moses and he parts the waters and they walk through on dry land to the other side. I mean, just imagine the scene, the, the walls of, of water up on the side. And so you're in the middle, you're like, well, we're across enough now. We, we can't turn back. We better just keep going. And so they go. They're afraid, I'm sure. The Lord could easily drown us right now, but he has said he's going to deliver us. And so they trust. And then as soon as they, last, last foot of the Israelites is on dry land, well, well the, the Egyptians are following after, and the Lord drowns them in judgment. The walls crash down on them for pursuing his people. And so by faith, this exodus takes place. And then by faith, verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now what's interesting to note here is that from the exodus to the walls of Jericho, there's a whole span of time. 
Do you know what time that was? That was the wilderness wanderings. They don't make the list because they were the faithless. They, they didn't trust. They didn't persevere. They were punished in, in the desert and they all had to die before Jericho. And so he skipped the wilderness generation. He mentioned them earlier in this, in this book and they, they weren't mentioned fondly. Don't be like those who fell in the desert, the author of Hebrew would say earlier. And so he skips over them and, and I think his readers would have, would have caught that. But he jumps straight to Jericho, this, this first battle of conquest. And the walls of Jericho fell down by faith. And so again, the, the Lord says, do this, much like Noah. Do something that, that, it, that is going to be really crazy. I want you to march around seven times. Seven days, I want you to march around the city of Jericho that I'm giving to you. And they obeyed. They, 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 they obeyed and they did what God said. And after the seventh day and the, 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 the sound of the horn of the priests, they persevered and the walls fell down. And Israel invaded Jericho and, and burned, burned Jericho and, and took over the city. They possessed the city. They obeyed. Their, their faith took action. And so all of Jericho was, was captured and destroyed except for one family. Do you know there was one family in Jericho that was not captured by the Israelites and destroyed? It was, it was Rahab. Verse 31, Rahab, she lived in Jericho. She wasn't an Israelite, yet she was spared because she believed God. And so Rahab, a resident of Jericho, she had heard the stories. That's what she tells these spies. The Israelites send out spies to to look at the land. And she says, we've heard, I've heard the story about what what your God did in, in Egypt. And she says, I know that your Lord is God. And she says, I know that that your Lord is the God in heavens above and the earth below. And and she says, because of of your God, I'm going to spare you. I'm going to hide you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not afraid of my legal authorities. I'm afraid of your God. And so she takes great risk to herself. There's great cost for her in hiding these spies, but she does so. And she is an example of faith. Because of her faith, she and her family were spared. And so from Moses' parents to Moses to the Israelites at the Red Sea to the to outside of Jericho and to Rahab, these examples are show persevering faith in the face of difficulty or danger or suffering. And faith in these cases didn't know what the outcome would be, but they trusted the Lord. And the Lord delivered them. And the Lord, the Lord delivered them. Well, after Moses and, and those entering the land, he, he ends this, this section with our last subset here of Faith Illustrated in verses 32 through 40, where he just gives more examples, and then he concludes in verses 39 and 40. And so verse 32, it, it's a, great, a great, way, great question to start this section. What more shall I say? And so as he's gone, person by person, through the history of Israel, he gets to the point, he's like, wait a minute, time and space are limited. Well, what, what else do I need to say? Should, should I say more? Because I could say a lot more. What, what more shall I say? And so he lists kind of in, in this, this escalating rhythm, this rapid piling on of individuals, name after name after name after name. And, and all of these individuals and all the events of their lives would have been well known to the audience. And so he just, he just piles them on as this great crescendo of, of the faith that characterizes God's people. And so he mentions Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. And all these, all these men 
were used and, and, and were given victory. They, they led the Israelites in victory and in conquest. There's four judges, there's a king, there's a prophet, and there's, there's a group of prophets. And you can go back and you can read about their story. Some of them you know, but, but all the individuals are well known. This, this is fascinating. All of the individuals mentioned, even Samuel, are, are known for their weaknesses and their faults. Right? Gideon, I don't believe you. I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm going to test you. Or, or Barak, I'm not going without Deborah. I, I can't do it. Or, or Samson, right? His weakness was women. Jephthah, he, he's the one who vowed, made a vow, a rash vow, and, and he was forced to kill his own daughter. What a fool Jephthah was in that moment. King David, we know about his follies. And, and Samuel himself, he's probably the best of this bad group, but, but him, his sons were not upright men, and yet he still appointed them to serve as priests, and they were, they were wicked priests. And so all of these men, like, did, did the author of Hebrews make a mistake? Maybe he pulled the wrong file. Maybe these aren't examples of faith, but these are scoundrels. He, he didn't pull the wrong file. He, he lays them out because at the end of the day, though known for their weakness, they still serve as an example, which, which is actually a great encouragement to me because what this means is that perseverance is not perfection. The faith that he's calling for is not perfection because if it were, the, these men would not make the list. And so God's people are called to, to persevering faith, but not perfect faith. We all have weaknesses and faults. Yet we're all called to persevere and press on in the midst of our shortcomings. And so these are all examples of faith that led to conquering or victory. And so then in these following verses, many of the, the, the exploits of these individuals are mentioned in kind of, again, this, this staccato fashion. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced, justment, uh, uh, enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They, they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put armies to flight. Right? This, this is the Old Testament. These are exciting stories of God's, God's power on display and, and the faith of God's people being vindicated. In verse 35, the women received back their dead by resurrection. Did you know there are resurrections in the Old, Old Testament? Specifically with Elijah and Elisha, these two prophets who, who raised widows' sons. Again, this is faith that, that is being displayed. And so this, this catalog of individuals and events, it provides a, a, an astounding display of conquering faith, a victorious faith. These are great examples of where faith may lead, conquering and victory and, and amazing feats. But he doesn't stop in the middle of verse 35 because the author of Hebrews quickly mentions the not so apparently victorious outcome of the faith of others. Notice it's a clear shift there. Look at verse 35. So, so he's going on, quench the power of fire, escape the other sword, Became strong, became mighty in war, put foreign, foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, period. Some were tortured. While faith for some led to pomp and circumstance, in other cases, the outcomes were not so celebratory. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They, they, they persevered through torture because they knew you can take my life, but I'm getting another one, a better one. There's a future promise. Others suffered mocking and flogging and, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, mistreated, right? This is not the the glorious side of faith, or or at least to the human perception, it's not the glorious side of faith, right? This doesn't make the the pretty picture frames in your bathroom being sawn in two and tortured and afflicted, but the the author of Hebrews wants us to know that this is faith nevertheless. This is what these individuals persevering faith led them to. And he wants you to know that the world looked at them and said, you are not worthy to be here. We're going we're gonna to put out your life. And the author of Hebrews wants you to know that it's actually the other way around. The world was not worthy of them. Wandering about deserts, mountains, dens, caves of the earth. The author reveres these people. We ought to revere this type of faith that perseveres through these instances. The author clearly respects these heroes. However, these don't make the best-selling book lists. Hey, follow Jesus. You might get sawn in two. That's not going on the shelves of the local Christian bookstore. But if you want your best life now, if you want lots of money, if you want lots of blessing, hey, that's going to sell. But that's not biblical. Doesn't draw millions of followers, but this is the reality that we must see from Hebrews chapter 11. The life of faith, trust the Lord when deliverance and relief comes immediately, and blesses the Lord when it comes, and rejoices. And the life of faith, trust the Lord when deliverance and relief are nowhere to be found. Both are, are paths of a persevering faith. Both are possible. Faith trusts God in the triumphs and in the tragedies. And, and we don't know where our life is going. And so we're called to persevere whichever path we go. And that's what he wants the, the, the readers of Hebrews to know. God's people have always ultimately been a pilgrim people, not at home in this world. Suffering and mistreatment at the hands of the world has never been foreign to the people of God. And the author's point here at the end of this list of examples is that persevering faith is always required, regardless of circumstances. Author of Hebrews would say that, that persevering faith is the birthmark of the people of God, and you never lose it. Persevering faith is the birthmark of the people of God. We, we carry it with us. We persevere because that's what God's people do because of who our God is. And then he closes the conclusion there, verse 39 and 40. As great as these pillars of persevering faith were and are, as beneficial as their examples are for his readers and for us, none of them, the author says, fully received what was promised. So it's never fully realized. Now they received some of the promise, the partial promise, partial fulfillment, but they never fully received what was promised because, here's why the author is saying this now, because none of them saw the advent of the Messiah. None of them saw the, the divine Son through whom the Father had spoken finally and completely. 
They had all beheld, they had never beheld or experienced the establishment of the, the new and the better covenant. And the author of Hebrews wants his readers to recognize that, that they are fulfilled in us. What we have seen completes what they're waiting for. So now we're all one people. There's not two peoples of God. There's not Israel and the church. No, we're all connected here because we all trust God and we're awaiting for the fulfillment, the full realization of all of his promises, for a, a city that can't be shaken, for a resurrection that will never die. And so as he gives this whole list, he, he kind of shows the, the Hebrews their, their privileged position. These people persevered, and they hadn't seen what you've seen. They never saw the coming of the Son of Man and the, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the, the spotless Lamb of God. And they never experienced the, the full cleansing of conscience. And they never experienced the, the ability to draw near with, a, with a, a clean conscience and full assurance into the Holy of Holies and dwell there. They never had any of that, and yet they still persevered. And he wants the, the readers to know, here you are considering abandoning Jesus? Why would you do that? That's not who we are as God's people. And so he ends identifying all of the people of God. There, there is one people of God, and the one people of God have always and will always be marked by persevering faith. Well, that's, that's chapter 11. Let me, let me briefly, I know I've, I've gone a little bit longer, but, but here's three brief points of application. First, perseverance is simply trusting God. Persevering faith, trust God in acts. I mean, that, 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 that's simple. Persevering faith, trust God and acts. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of difficulty, when, when God has spoken clearly, when God has commanded, when God has, has given marching orders, that the people of God march forward. We act on the promises. Even when we don't see the benefit or the reason. And this is why it, the, the song that we sang, the, the second hymn, it talked about God, God has revealed in his word. His, his word is where God has spoken to us. And so if you want to know what God calls you to do, if you want to know what you're commanded to do, if you want to obey God, you're in his word. And you act. When, when scripture calls you to do something, you act trusting God. Second application point. Persevering faith makes all, marks all of God's people. I think this chapter ought to cause us to rethink the heroes of the faith. Right? Persevering faith marks all of God's people. The ordinary Christian is part, of the, is part of the hall of faith. And so for you, you, you ought not think, oh, I wish I could be like Billy Graham. I wish I could be like this person of church history. I wish I could be like Abraham or Moses. No, you are called to be the person of faith where you are in the circumstances where you are right now. And if you persevere and trust the Lord in the midst of where you are right now, the life that God's given you, you are a hero of faith. You are an example to be emulated. All of God's people are called to persevere in faith. And so, and so don't think that you're a, 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 a second-class citizen. No, all of God's people walk consistently, continually in faith, trusting the Lord. And so heaven will be filled. I, I mean, I think, think about, I mean, this, this is a total speculation. But if there's celebrities in heaven... I don't think we'll have ever heard of any of them here on earth. I mean, I think Billy Graham, I think he's going to be way back. He was a great man. He used mightily. 
I mean, I don't think I'm going to be up there, but I think there's unnamed saints who have lived lives of faith that are going to be rewarded, and we're going to say, wow, what a testimony to God's grace in this life. So don't get caught up in the here and now. I mean, the reality is, your great, great, great grandkids will probably not even know your name. Last application point. Persevering faith is strengthened by the examples of others. And so I think what, the, what he, he, he's saying, look at, look at all the cloud of witnesses. Think about them. Remember them. And, and by remembering, the author is assuming that, that it's going to prov- provoke his readers to, to press on. And so, so I think that's how the body of Christ ought to work. And, and so I would say, if you're an older Christian... Find a younger Christian and just just get to know them because I can promise you there are a lot of younger Christians now looking ahead, looking 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, and and I I can assure you that we are thinking, can a Christian hold fast to their faith in this type of culture? Can can I really do this? And and what a blessing to, to hear from older Christians say, oh yes, it's hard but I've done it for 40 years and it's worth it and I wouldn't trade one day of it. Amen. And so this is the body of Christ and we are blessed with, with multiple ages and so older Christians invest in us. We need to hear that it's worth it. And if it's not worth it, then don't tell us because we want you to be honest. And so share your story. Broaden your horizon. So not even in the context of this local church, but this is one of the reasons I love reading Christian biographies. Though dead, they still speak. Maybe that could be your homework for this coming 12 months. Pick a, pick a book about a faithful Christian and read it and be encouraged. I'll give you a whole list of them if you want. Come talk to me. But broaden your horizons because persevering faith is strengthened by the examples of of others. And so Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, let us persevere. We, we don't know what the future holds. Right? At the beginning of 2020, no one knew what was ahead. Here in 2021, we don't know what lies ahead, but we know that perseverance is possible because God is faithful. And so let us persevere. Let me pray for us as we close.